you want me to do the, the clicker? The clicker. As we're doing all this stuff. Yeah, now we have all this all this technology and all this stuff going around in the, in the air with Wi-Fi, so it'll happen. Okay, um, let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time in the, in the Word this morning. So let's go ahead and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and rose again on the third day. We thank you so much for this time of year that we get to celebrate the birth of your son. But it's not just the birth, it's the birth that leads to the death. And because of his death on the cross, we can have forgiveness of sins. And it's because of what he's done on the cross for us that we can have a relationship with you. And so we just are so very thankful for what you've given us and your son, Jesus Christ. And we just ask that we would seek to honor and glorify him. We thank you and love you in your son's name. Amen. So this past Thanksgiving, we had the Zinks over to our house. Uh, they are serving in Longview at Coal Creek Community Church. And uh, I had mentioned that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday above all the other holidays. And he asked, well, why is that? And Quite frankly, it was the first time somebody had ever asked me that question. I'm actually kind of surprised. But when I, when I was thinking through it, I said, well, you know, for the one thing, the Bible commands us numerous times to be thankful, right? I mean, you, you can't open up a page without it exp telling you to express your gratitude to God. So a holiday that we get to express our gratitude to God and we get to eat turkey, that seems like the best day, right? Uh, I did say that Christmas has always left a bad taste in my mouth. My mom, my dad, even myself, we've all worked retail on Black Friday. And you want to, anyone that says that man is good, go to a Walmart on Black Friday. And you will see the depths of depravity uh, there. And we, we laugh, but we also know it's pretty serious. Black Friday is very serious. That's a very serious thing. Uh, and so when you see that and you go, well, it's not really about Jesus, right? Because, I mean, you, you see the people that you go to church with act crazy on Black Friday. And you go, well, you can't really tell me it's all about Jesus when you're doing some of this crazy stuff. It also seems to, like, I've been to several birth or Christmas parties where there was, like, this one upmanship, right? Like, the guy who buys the most expensive gift is the winner. And everybody walks away feeling weird because... They spent $400 and you only spent $200. And you were like, I didn't even have $200 to spend, but I felt like I needed to. One of the other things, too, that I... It's always, it's always been interesting in my mind is that nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to celebrate the Lord's birth. We're not commanded to do it. Now, we're, we're, we're called to celebrate the life of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that I don't think it's sinful. Obviously, we have a tree... Right? We're doing Christmas stuff. So obviously it's not sinful. I don't want to get hyper puritanical here. Who Some of those Puritans, if you had any sense of joy, you were sinning. Unless it was part of the five-hour sermon you were listening to when the guy read it. But he didn't raise his voice 
for fear that his enthusiasm might woo you away from God's word. We don't want to be that. So obviously, I'm not saying let's throw away all of the stuff that, that deals with Christmas. But one of the things that is kind of interesting when we talk about Christmas is this fat, jolly guy named Santa Claus, right? It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting thing, Santa Claus. Interesting myth in our culture. And I'm kind of interested in myths. One, uh, because I think it often tells us more about ourselves than it does about the actual myth, right? So there's, there's things that we say in myths that, that, are tr- that we hold true. Like, so for example, uh, with, this, with the myth of Santa Claus, we, we would love to have this time of year where people are giving gifts to each other. Right? And there is something kind of superhero about the myth, about this guy that just gives gifts indiscriminately to people who can't afford to give gifts. And so the myth kind of tells us, well, this is the time of year that we should be giving to others, right? It's a time of year. Okay, that, that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting about myths is they're normally built on something that's true that's then blown out of proportion. So there actually was a guy by the name of Pastor Nicholas of Mira. He became, just through some of the stuff that he did, and we're going to talk about some of the stuff he did, from that, there was a myth, and then the myth grew, and then the myth grew, and then the myth grew, to where now, Pastor Nick now lives in the North Pole with a whole bunch of little people riding around in a sleigh with reindeer that fly, and he throws around gifts to little kids, right? So you get from a faithful pastor to that. That's a big jump, right? But one of the things that I was thinking about with the myth and thinking about Santa Claus and thinking about, okay, let's say it is, let's just for the sake of argument say it is true that there is some guy that can do all this. Isn't Jesus still better? Like even even if the myth is true, let's just say it is true. Jesus is better. It's significant. He's significantly better. And so what I want to do this year is I want to talk about how Jesus is better than Santa Claus. Now, some of you go, duh. Yeah, no, it's true. In fact, I think we could argue that Jesus is better than everyone in this room and everything. Jesus is better. And so what I want to do is I want to remind us that Jesus is better. And what place is better for us to talk about Jesus is better than the book where that is the very theme of the book, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is the whole point that Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the priests. He's better. And he, and he gives several reasons of why Jesus is better. And all of them are enumerated in the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. So turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be kind of going slow through Hebrews 1, 1 this morning and going into verse 2. And I'm going to contend, once again, this isn't supposed to be earth-shattering. If this is earth-shattering to you, well, then I'm glad I'm introducing it to you now. Um, But Jesus is better because Jesus is a spokesman of God. He's the ultimate spokesman of God. Guess what? Santa Claus is not. On his best day, he cannot match Jesus as a spokesman of God in revealing God's will. 
So, we're going to see two things from this text. It's kind of easy when you look at Hebrews 1, verse 1. Verse 1 itself deals with God's communication or God's, God has spoken through many other spokesmen. And then in verse 2, the first part of verse 2, it's, but now God has spoken through his ultimate spokesman, right? So there was like this, he spoke a lot of different ways in the Old Testament through a lot of different people, and that was fine because he spoke. But when Jesus comes, they don't even hold a candle. They they don't even hold a candle to Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's go to Hebrews 1.1, and let's look at first... That God has spoken through many other spokesmen. Notice how the author starts off. He starts off with, well, here in the, in the ESV, it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, the word, the, the actual sentence doesn't begin with long ago. The, the ESV does that, and that's to help us understand what the author means. That's part of the job of the translators to take what is originally there and translate it in a way that's understandable to the reader, right? And so he adds in long ago. This phrase for long ago means in the past, in the past. And when it's tied to God has spoken to our fathers, the idea is that long ago, some time ago, before Before this event, before Jesus, God would speak, right? So there's this long time ago. Well, when when did God start communicating? When did God start revealing? Well, we would say, well, Genesis tells us in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. So we would say that God's revelation of himself begins at the moment of creation. We would argue Though I don't think this is necessarily what the author is alluding to. We would say that as God created the world, as in Psalm 19, he has put things in the world, in creation, so that, that demonstrate his glory and demonstrate his honor. So as we look at the world around us, we go, wow, look how incredible God is, right? Let's just turn there quickly to Psalm 19. Notice it says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So you see what he's saying. He's saying the heavens themselves, because of the way that God created them, demonstrates his glory. Even though there's no audible voice saying, look, God is glorious. When we go outside at night and see all of the beautiful stars, that is screaming his majestic splendor. There's no voice, there's no loudspeaker coming out of heaven going, By the way, while you're looking at the stars, this is to demonstrate God's glory. It's something that we see and we go, wow, no, God is glorious. This we may call natural theology or we may call call, uh, uh, universal revelation. It's this idea of there are things that can be learned about God in nature. But you don't really get to know God through nature, right? I, I doubt any of us 
one day was looking at a tree. And as we were studying the integral parts of the tree, you went, now I get it. The Trinity. I get it. I doubt any of us were studying any animal and went, oh, Jesus did die on the cross for my sins. Thank you. Gazelle, as I was watching you on National Geographic, I now know all the splendor of God because I've seen it in the hindquarters of a gazelle as it's running away from a lion. No, that doesn't happen. It, there's only certain things that we can learn from natural, what God has naturally revealed. The author of Hebrews is not concerned about that. In the book of Romans, that's where Paul will start. Paul will start from this. But here, he's referring to something specific, what we may call special revelation. And when, we, when I use this word special revelation, what I mean is there is a specific message that God has, intelligent, has, has intelligently, with intelligence, communicated to his spokesman. And, and it's for a specific person at a specific time. That's what special revelation is. This verse is dealing with that, right? Long ago, in many ways, in many different portions, he spoke to our fathers through the prophets. So he's thinking of this special revelation of this time before Jesus. That's what he means by long ago. And now notice what, then what he says next. He says, so long ago, at many times, sometimes when I read the Bible, I have to remind myself of the truth that the book just didn't float from heaven, right? It just didn't come down from heaven, and Adam and Eve just received this, and all of people throughout all of human history have had this, right? Because it just comes from heaven, right? That's not how God has communicated the man. Why he has chosen to do it the way he's done it, this is the way that brings him the most glory. But what has he done? He has revealed bits and pieces that build on top of each other, right? And as you learn about the thing that he reveals, then he adds something else, and then you learn, and then you learn some more. The Apostle Paul refers to this like a child under a tutor. When I was learning math, and I didn't learn it very well, I started with what? Numbers, and this many, plus this many, make this many. Now, that doesn't mean I know all of math, right? And then what ended up, what happened? Then I learned subtraction and multiplication. And then there was this thing called algebra. I don't understand it. Geometry. I don't know. It was just a bunch of shapes to me. Um, if you wanted to measure it, just get a measuring tape. Why do I have to figure it out with a formula? But what, you see what happens. As a tutor teaches us, it's one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. So as God reveals, he didn't give the whole shebang in one go. He gave it progressively, right? A little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here. Now, as he gives it progressively, it was coherent to the person who was reading. The intended audience, when they got it, they could read the book and they could go, Oh, no, I understand what he means. Now, is it the whole picture? No, they didn't get the whole picture. But could they understand what they were given? Of course they would, because that's how God communicates. So, what we see here is we see that God's given his revelation progressively. And if he's given it progressively, that means that there's got to be an ultimate thing of when it's completed, right? 
And the author's point in the book of Hebrews is, it wasn't finished. The Old Testament wasn't finished. Jesus had to come so that it all starts to make sense. That's what makes Jesus better. The Old Testament is not the end-all, say-all in God's revelation. There's more, and it comes through Jesus. This is important for us to remember. God used his talk lots of different times. But now, how do I know God? How do I know truth? The embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ. There might be a lot of things that people say, and it's not through Jesus Christ. And you might go, yeah, that sounds kind of right. But it ain't Jesus, right? Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is truthful. He is consistent with the character of God. And we'll, we'll get into this here in a second. I don't want to preach the sermon before I preach the sermon of why Jesus is the ultimate revelation. But just know this. The fact that he had to give it in many times demonstrates that it was incomplete. And there had to be more added. Now notice the next thing that he says. He says, and in many ways. He gave it in many ways. He just didn't do it one way. I guess when I was a kid, I thought that God would kind of come down and just yell in people's face or open up their minds somehow and just pour knowledge in, right? It's like an internet download. Nope. He talked to a lot of different people lots of different ways, right? From a talking donkey to visions, dreams, lots, the Urim and the Thummim. So many different things. So many different things. I remember when we were going through the book of Ezekiel and some of the stuff that God had Ezekiel do. And you go, that's weird. That's weird. And God had to use Ezekiel that way because Israel was that steeped in their sin that they needed something like that to shock them awake. God has spoken lots of different ways. Lots of different time, lots of different ways, right? But notice, who did he speak to? He spoke to our fathers. Who are our fathers? Well, here, it's most likely speaking of the Hebrew fathers, right? Those who were Jewish, the people of Israel, right? The, the, the ancestors of, of, of the Jewish people. So God spoke to them. But how did he speak? He spoke by the prophets. Divinely chosen spokesmen. These are divinely chosen men. And there have been some women prophetesses who have received direct revelation from God. And then as a representative of God, spoke. They spoke what they heard. They spoke what they saw. Right? The Old Testament is full of that. And that's how God communicated. He communicated through these different people at different times, in different ways. He revealed his character and his will. He, he, he built this anticipation for the coming of the Messiah. Okay? But notice the crescendo here. So God spoke through lots of different spokesmen, right? Lots of different ways. The implication is incomplete. But now, notice, but now, in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. Oh, if you cannot see what the author's doing here, it's brilliant. 
God used to talk lots of different ways, lots of different ways, lots of different people. Now, it's exclusive, right? You have to see the exclusivity. He did a lot of different things. Now, it's not. It's through Jesus. Lots of different people. Now, it's through Jesus, right? He is now the ultimate revelation of God. Now, the question is, why is Jesus the ultimate revelation? Jesus is the ultimate revelation because he himself is God. Only God can know God. That's the truth. In totality, only God can know God perfectly. Only God, therefore, can communicate God perfectly. You and I, when we talk about God, we talk about the things we've heard, things we've read, right? We may know God on the basis of Jesus Christ, but it's not like I inherently know God or I can exhaustively know everything about God. In fact, I am constantly learning about God. Jesus never had to learn about God because he was God. He never had to learn about the Father. Jesus didn't have to have theology classes to know God. He didn't have to have somebody teach him, well, this is how you, this is how you communicate with God and this is how you know God. He knew God and he knew God perfectly. So Jesus isn't speaking from something he's just heard. He's speaking from what he knows and what is innate to his nature. And then as he comes as a human, to speak to humans, he could speak to us in a way that we can understand. So here you have God who knows God, who can perfectly talk about God, has added on humanity to talk to us, and therefore this makes him the best. This is better than any dream. This is better than any vision. This is better than any urim or thummim. This is better than anything else. Jesus is the ultimate example. So notice the author here in verse 2. But in these last days, I understand these last days as the, the days of the Messiah, the age of the Messiah. Speaking of, of, of this biblically, right now that's what we're in. We're in the last days because we're in the age of the Messiah. We could split up the age of the Messiah in two categories. The one we're in now, that's the church right? That deals with the first coming of Jesus, right? That's what we're in. We don't have a place to live. We're kind of wanderers and pilgrims, right? We're a work in progress. We are the people of the Messiah, but he is building his bride. He is building his church. This is the first part of the age of the Messiah. There will then be a second part of this age, the Messiah, where he will reign on earth for a thousand years, do not be deceived. There are a lot of people that are very scared of some of the stuff that's going on that you hear on the news. And they're thinking, oh, the rapture's going to happen and then that's the end. Wrong. That is the transition from the first stage to the second stage. There will be a thousand years where Jesus will reign. That's where we're in. We're in that first stage. Now, how close are we to that transition? I don't know. Only God himself knows when that transition will take place. In fact, the Bible teaches us that there are not really any signs that are going to tell us about this transition because the first thing that will happen that alerts everybody to the transition is the rapture of the believers. That's the first thing that when you see that and you're still left here, you should start saying, uh-oh, things are bad. Things are really, really bad. That's the next thing. There's no sign leading up to that. That's what we're in. 
So in these last days, in the time that we're in now, in the age of the Messiah, God has exclusively spoken to us by his son. That's how he's spoken to us. He, he reveals this to us. Now, some of you are smart. And you're thinking, well, Caleb, what about the apostle Paul? What about the author of Hebrews? Jesus didn't write this. There was some human author after the death, burial, and resurrection. We would say that those people are spokesmen of Jesus and that they speak on behalf of Jesus. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus is still the ultimate revelation of God. Paul had to learn about Jesus. Paul had to learn about God. He had to receive. He had to grow. Jesus never did. What Jesus spoke was perfectly consistent with the character of God and revealed the will of God. And he's the ultimate example. Now we learn about Jesus and the mind of Jesus and the will of Jesus from his spokesmen, the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament. Now that we have the completed New Testament, we should not be expecting any new stuff to come around, right? Why? Because he has built that foundation. Jesus has built that. And so what we have is we have the mind of Christ spoken to us in, in these last days. He's the ultimate, he's the ultimate revelation. He, 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 he's, the, he's, the, he's the primary one that we have to go to. Yesterday, uh, the guys, we were studying John 14.6. That's, that's where we're at. We're in John 14.6. And I spent, and we're spending a lot of time just moseying through that, right? We're moseying up that mountain. Yesterday, we talked about when Jesus said, I am the truth. That, that, that incredible statement, I am the truth. I'm the embodiment of truth. I'm the truth teller. Everything I say is true. Everything I say is consistent with all of Scripture and God's character. There is never a time in which he is struggling to say, what's the truth? He's the embodiment of it. The perfect example of what a truth teller is. The perfect example of revealing the Father. That's Jesus. He's the ultimate. He, he, he is the ultimate revealer. Now, we will learn as we go through this that there is more to Jesus than just he's a prophet. He's more than a prophet. But you have to know he's a prophet as well. Okay? You have to know that this is what makes Jesus better than Santa. That Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God and Santa's not. The Santa myth starts with this guy born in December 6, 260. His name was Nicholas of Myra. He was born to a Christian family, pretty wealthy Christian family. He lived a faithful life. He became a pastor at the age of 33. When he was pastor of Myra, there was a great persecution that happened throughout the ancient Roman Empire. The accounts that we have is that Nicholas, Pastor Nick, suffered severely for the sake of Jesus. To the point that accounts tell us that he had permanent scars from the persecution. 
This man served faithfully, faithfully, even attending a pretty famous church council called the Council of Nicaea. St. Nick was there. St. Nick was on the side that Jesus is of the same substance, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I guarantee you if Pastor Nick was here today, he would say amen to every single thing that is said in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better than me. You want to know how we know that? Because he suffered for Jesus. He defended Jesus as God. Not only that, he would argue, of course Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's will. Not me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm his faithful servant. How do we know he was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ? He suffered in the midst of a great theological battle. He was stood on the side of biblical orthodoxy. He's a great man. He was a great pastor. He was a man of his times. Did some weird stuff as they did back in the 200s. But we can overlook that. The man was faithful to Jesus Christ. Right? And if he was here today, he would say, of course Jesus is better than me. The real Santa was a worshiper of Jesus. The real Santa was a follower of Jesus. The mythical Santa, who knows? But this is what I'm going to say. Jesus is better. Right? He's better. He's better than the real man. He's better than the myth. Jesus is better. And so my advice is, looking at this text, understand that Jesus is better. Understand that Jesus is superior and that Jesus is the ultimate revelation. And so when you listen to somebody who says, hey, God's been telling me a whole bunch of cool stuff and it's not found in God's word, it's not found and rooted in Jesus Christ as the Bible describes it, run. You don't have to listen to them. They don't know God. Jesus knows God. Jesus reveals God. You know what you know about God because of Jesus. You know God because of Jesus. Don't abandon Jesus. Be like Pastor Nick. Believe Jesus. Be a defender of the, the deity of Jesus Christ. Share the gospel and be willing. Be willing to suffer and be persecuted. May the Lord give us the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this passage that reveals to us that your, that your son is better than all of us. And that Jesus reveals to us you. And that the only way that we can know you is because of Jesus. And because of the things that Jesus said. So, Father, we just pray that you'll keep us focused on Jesus, that you'll keep us focused on uh, the things that are uh, true, the things that are rooted in your word, the things that, that draw us closer to your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so very much for everything you've given us in your word. We say this in your son's name. Amen.